Hi, this is Lauren Yoshiko. And this is Menle Golakai Agri, and you are listening to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. Since quarantine started, we've talked a lot about the universe that exists inside our homes, relationships with our partners, friends, families, how we're using food and nostalgia to cope. But today we're going to chat about our green friends, our houseplants. Today we're going to talk about the role that plants play in our lives and the joys and struggles um, when getting emotionally involved with a plant. But before we get started, let's have a check-in. Portland held many protests demanding justice for Black people who've been murdered recently, like Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. There was a curfew put in place after things kind of got wild one night. And I mean, the fact that I'm saying the word curfew out loud, it feels like executive orders in World War II, like makes me think about my grandparents getting ready to go to internment camps. Like that's the last time I read the word curfew coming from the government. And here in Portland, the, the protests were allowed to happen. But I mean, after multiple days, they authorized National Guard troops. And I mean, I know Portland is its own bubble of very liberal philosophy, but it's a city where racial disparity has been a really fundamental city issue. So I have to say, like, while I'm watching my little local news channel do their live coverage during these protests, saying words like systematic oppression, saying words like hundreds of years, that was pretty incredible to me because my conservative background, and I've talked a lot this week about with with people from my small white hometown, a lot of conversations because a lot of them have never heard these words before. They've never read them before. They never have really fathomed the depths of people of color's experience in America, frankly. Um, I'm grateful that protesters have like kept going and pushed this conversation because it's allowed us to get to this point where we're talking with action with honesty and like everyone's holding themselves accountable and it's a good thing like it's not it doesn't even feel like a shame battle like I'm I'm happy to be talking with my white friends about our white privilege my privileges having a white dad and I never thought I'd be having as frank of conversations as I'm having right now so I am really grateful for that. Like a lot of us, I don't know how I feel. I'm feeling a lot and happy that a little bit later on this evening, when we'll be recording this episode here in Mexico City, um, there will be a silent candlelit vigil on behalf of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and Eric Gardner and Walter Scott and Tony McDade and Viley Reeves and Renata Spencer and, you know, other transgender black brothers and sisters killed both in the U.S. and in Mexico by the hands of the authorities. I personally just think that this is a moment to also acknowledge people of African descent in all of the Americas, um, particularly here where I live in Mexico, you know, for centuries, black bodies and have been sort of invisible and mistreated and murdered and unable to have a voice. My sort of low-budget, independent research on the diasporic connection between Africa and Latin America has really, I feel like I'm leaning into it in a different way. You know, for centuries, Blackness here has kind of been an afterthought and more of a historical footnote 
But to be Mexican is to be African and indigenous and European. And it would be a lie if I thought that the general consensus would change after this. But I do think um, there is a shift and awakening. It wasn't until 2015 that Afro-Mexicans could even be counted in the census here in Mexico. 2015. I mean, and that was after I moved here. And it felt huge um, for a lot of people because I think the makeup of people who actually identify as Afro-Mexican is about 1.3 million of the population. You know, I think it's important to note that in 1519, 100 years before the U.S., the Spanish brought African slaves to the shores of Veracruz, Mexico. And that was the first stop, really, in the transatlantic slave trade here in Mexico. And so the relationship that Mexico has to its Black people, it's it's something that I think a lot of people are, are critically thinking about. If we get tired talking about American racial politics. How about when that shit goes back that long, like literally 500 years, 600 years? Like, I mean, you know, we get to have a taste of your of your journey and discovery down there. And it reminds us all like how connected it is, whether it is like that anecdote you gave of of tamale Mexico tasting so much like African recipes and ingredients and it's the same thing with with people because that's how these things moved it was us bringing them back and forth it's it's interesting too because when I first started speaking out about my personal experiences with racism here in Mexico a lot of people told me you know, if I didn't like it, I should just move or that I didn't understand Mexico's culture because I hadn't mastered the Spanish language and that it wasn't racism. It was it wasn't classism. It's it's a lot to take in and there's a lot of work to be done. But I think, again, this moment is really forcing us to think about how long silence and denial plays a role in systemic white supremacy, you know, because police brutality and racism does not disappear when you cross a border. It's global. You know, it seems like sort of a a huge jump. But I think one of the best parts of this podcast is our ability to be able to, like, hold um, and exist between things that are currently happening and and our appreciation for cannabis and our exploration of cannabis. And so I've sort of been looking forward to this episode because I think plants and house plants, you know, sort of hold so many meanings from being um, something that can heal humans to, you know, Africa's botanical legacy. And of course, our patron saint, Cannabis Sativa, one of the most important plants, I think, in the world. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of diving into talking about them and, and kind of having a chance to heal through some greenery chats. Are you ready to do this? In reality, shit is messy and there's good and bad and it doesn't all fit in one conversation or one perfect straight line of logic. Like, that's just not it. So, yes, I am absolutely ready to talk greenery because it feels absolutely perfect to be talking about nurturing life that is possible in any sized apartment or living situation anywhere in the world. So let's get into it. Did you grow up with plants or a garden? I'm trying to remember if you've mentioned before. 
one of my first memories of plants was in the kitchen of my mom's house in like Baltimore County, Maryland. She had this Boston ivy. It was kind of like dusty even probably because, you know, she had four girls and didn't have the chance to like to wipe her plants down like I do because I'm sad and um, childless. <laughs> but she had... <laughs> She had that and I think like some basic bitch um, pothos or pythos in the kitchen windowsill and I, I didn't show that much interest in them. Um, I think I enjoyed plants outdoor more so than I did indoors. But later in high school, and I think we might have talked about this, we had this option in our junior and senior year to choose a vocational class. And one of them, one of them was a video production class and the other was these set of horticulture classes um and it was both dealing with like the the lab part but then also being able to just zone out and and do arrangements and they were surprisingly fun i mean i was probably one out of three students it was kind of this the space to just hang out and make weird arrangements alone in some in some classroom and that's so funny <laughs> they weren't good though I mean I'm not I'm not gonna lie I wasn't some prodigy <laughs> we were in some like dusty rented lab coats while we were doing it it was not oh my God. it was not beautiful or whimsical but I, I guess in retrospect it totally informed my my career choice I mean here I am now an ex-cannabis cultivator and and huge plant mom. And I think it wasn't until college that I really got serious about plants. It wasn't until heavy weed smoking and sort of living in this like hippie house, the infamous hippie house that I kind of allowed for that to grow, that curiosity. I wasn't aware of it then, but I certainly became more aware of it later on that it was almost a protest to be so knowledgeable in plants and plant life because I think it was something that is initially only thought of to be more European or more white, you know, to have that plant knowledge. And so I think it was a silent protest for me, but also, again, this this way of healing. I'm curious what your plant origins were. Did you garden? What was it? What was the scene like? I definitely took nature for granted. The home I was born into that I lived the first handful of years of my life, it was even more remote. I actually have memories, which means I was under the age of six, wandering around freely to a literal creek bed next to my house. And I rem I have a memory of like the two footpaths I could choose to take. And like one was faster, but I knew I'd get mud everywhere and like making that choice of like, fuck it, I'm getting muddy. <laughs> and um, I must have been like five or six doing that and, and just like marching around on my own, like talking to frogs and like playing with rocks and stuff. So I very much like was comfortable and like it felt normal to me to be around trees and flora and my mom inside. She's just classic gal who loves flowers. Like there's like a notorious ficus she had for most of my childhood and it was so big that it like let off this weird sap off its trees. I don't know if other people with ficuses did it, but it fucked up her bamboo floors. Oh, like shit. very nice floors. It's a sacrifice. And I kind of 
loved that she still was like, yeah, like that's too beautiful of a plant to give up or like, what am I going to do? Get rid of it? Yeah, right. And she would decorate it. So we had like two Christmas trees every year. But I talk about my mom when I think about my plant foundation because another extremely formative memory of mine was it's like when anybody asks me about spirituality, religion, and it's just my mom and a cactus and and basically my hippie hippier side of my Japanese family had a tradition of driving down to Baja, finding a remote beach and like setting up camp for a winter. Very, very 1960s moves, I know. And they were very privileged to be able to do that. But they liked to live their hippie fantasy. And I got to benefit from it a couple times as a kid. And it was super healthy and wonderful. But one time I'm hanging out with the cool older cousins. They must have been 12 or something like typical 12 year old boys. And I'm probably like eight or nine. We're, we're like, you know, tip of Baja. So it's very deserty and um, just a tall, lonely saguaro next to wherever we were kicking it in the brush, just being little kids. And they started throwing rocks at the base of it. And, you know, cactuses, you know, they look so tough on the outside. But once you get past that outer skin, it's, it's it's like really wet moisture. It looks very, it's very fleshy. It's very like bright green and it just looks like life. Like it's thicker and wetter than like cantaloupe. Like I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it just looks like raw life. So I'm following suit. We're all throwing rocks at the base of this incredible, probably like 10 foot tall suguaro. And my mom comes over. She starts yelling at us like I had never heard before. It shocked me. And she was like, what the hell do you think you're doing? (laughs) And she ripped the rocks out of my cousin's hands. And my little face must have just been utter shock. I, I remember just like all of us freezing and staring at her and her shaking that finger and being like, this is a living thing. Do you know what you are doing? You're killing a living thing. And and kind of gave us this speech that was very like, what purpose does this serve? Who's good? What good can this do for anybody, really? And and it was so important for me to hear. And it really hit me. Yeah, I think about it all the time. And then I was like a little psycho environmentalist and like sobbed when I found out the place we camped on when I was that age. Got, get this, it was bought by Enrique Iglesias's little brother and the is now fuck? this, of course, subdivided resort and it's this golf course. And then I like got on the internet and read about like ch- the environmental destruction of golf courses. As a child, like my desire to go vandalize a golf course in Mexico is pretty big. Those were the first <laughs> rebellious thoughts was me as an eight-year-old being like, I'm going to go put raw glass out so the ATVs pop their tires and can't can't run over the sea turtle shells like i was a emerging little freak after that talk but girl that is heavy metal (laughs) (laughs) i didn't i didn't like cultivate my own plants though again i think just taking them for granted until i was in college and it was totally what you're talking about like that hippie house everyone smoking weed talking about herbs like (laughs) i i I bought a carnivorous plant, like one of those um, sticky little sundews that have the little, they look like antenna almost, but it was probably at a head shop, honestly. It was probably sold at a damn smoke shop, and I bought it, and that that little sucker lived a really long time, actually. I mean, it did not take 
virtually anything other than flies and water to keep it alive. And they were big, juicy Santa Cruz flies. And that plant got big and it lived, honestly, like, I think three years. We can honestly all be a little bit more tender towards the planet. Small businesses and designers know how challenging it can be to find environmentally friendly solutions for packaging, branding, and printing needs. To answer this struggle, broccoli designer Jennifer James Wright created A Better Source. It's a public educational directory for earth conscience creating. Become a volunteer today and help A Better Source discover new resources for its directory. Visit abettersource.org to learn more or email volunteer at abettersource.org. I love little Lauren, like, protesting Enrique Iglesias' brother's golf course (laughs) (laughs) for the sake of the cacti. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I love our appreciation for plants. And I think it only got better for me and I think deeper when I started cultivating cannabis professionally. And at that point, I think the entire world shifted. It was like it wasn't because I was stoned, but I do feel like everything sort of slowed down like the matrix when I was around plants after that, you know, because you saw it in a very microscopic sort of freeze frame because you're dealing, I think it was the amount of plants too that I was dealing with. There were so many of them and they were almost alien-like in a sense where I was like their alien leader and I'm going off on a weird tangent, but that's what it felt like in like some of my bigger indoor scenes. And, you know, as far as my relationship with plants then, it only encouraged me to be a little bit more mindful with my house plants, with my pets, um, even with my friends. I think there was this ability to kind of have a better symbolic connection between caring for plants as a tool for caring for others. It sounds corny as fuck, but I I, I think there was something about that, that Virgo moon, like quasi nurturing part where it was kind of like, hey, are you hungry? Like, do you need water? You know, you seem angry. Your energy seems low. Like, I don't know. Do you have BV? What's going on? Like, I need to let me diagnose and like take care of you because that's what I was doing for a living. It slowed me down and kind of allowed me even still when I'm watering my plants or checking the back of the leaves for pests, it's like this time to kind of check in and really slow down and express care for something other than myself. And I think that really spilled over into my ability to to care for myself and, and the people around me. The concept of plants as a trend is obviously sometimes an eye roll and maybe silly, but in some ways I think it obviously is impactful for our human race, right? Because we are healthier because of plants, because it does have the ability to boost your mood and productivity and concentration. Right. Like there are, there are worse trends to happen. Yeah. It's scientifically proven to just be healthier for us. The ownership of plants or rather having plant children in your life isn't really just about if you're placing them in the frame of a Zoom meeting or like to take a cute 
Instagram photo. It's it's really about like that time you take, you know, it's it's like a pet. It's like something you really deeply care for that you need to feed and water and make sure they have a babysitter whenever you travel. Um, it's making homemade herbicides and gently wiping them down with soap and water. And I think I think that's huge. And it's taught people a lot. Will you talk to me about the wiping down washing thing? I don't know how to do this properly. Like, how frequently do you do it? And actually explain to me what you do. Ah, okay. It depends on the pest, but generally speaking, David was making fun of me the other day because I used a little bit of the fire cider I made for my solution. Oh, that makes sense. You know, right? Because the garlic and the cayenne. Yeah, ginger, pepper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I like to do like a little bit of that and water it down with some soap and kind of you can either use a paper towel or like a cloth with a bucket and just kind of dip it and like either wipe up wiping off the dust or wiping off pests. Um, I just feel like it's generally helpful. My my plants tend to get really dusty and, and fold with like covered in smog. It's really gross. And so I have to do that kind of often. Does that make sense? So do you rinse them? You can really leave the soap on the leaves? It's a very like diluted amount. So it's not like it's really soapy, but I'm sure some people get crazy with it. Also, you can just throw it in the shower. One of my good friends, she just like will put them in the shower and just turn them on and sort of like sometimes you can wipe things if you need to. That's a good idea. Right? It's easy. Wiping. Check these things like understanding symptoms and what you're supposed to do to resolve them and knowing when to repot and when you might just need to turn the plant and like get a different angle of sun like it is not a small task yes it looks nice to have a monstera for your instagram shots in the background but like that's not gonna last very long if you don't learn how so i like what you said about like you know who cares if it's a trend honestly it's a good thing if it if a trend in consumerism is getting you to to buy plants and by necessity learn how to take care of them that means you're just gonna learn how to take care of yourself and like that's cool I I have a friend who has gone into more environmental work and sustainability work, and she reads intense white papers all the time. There was like a a study about something the scientists coined vitamin N, and I'm sure it's made the rounds now by different names and and other articles, but it was just saying that there's literally a, a clinically proven difference between people who spend hours of most days in a space where they have that green light, like the waves that exist when real sunlight is hitting a real leaf in your vicinity, like that green haze you kind of sense when you're in the middle of a forest going on a hike, that has a physical impact on us. It does something to our brains and thus our bodies and people who get quote unquote vitamin N, they're healthier and happier than people who don't. And that's real. I think it's and even if it's not like <laughs> it's psychosomatic for most of us, I think. And that's just as real. <laughs> if if you think that you are happier with plants around you, you probably are happier with plants around you. So I've been craving it now that I, I have been in apartment bound without a backyard for at least like six years. So I just got some cuttings from my mom. She had a huge jade plant 
something called a purple heart, and then another kind of plant like that online. The names were inch plant slash spiderwort. It is my favorite plant. I love it, and it seems to really like this environment, and it's one of those plants where, you know, every little nub grows five new nubs, and it's just thriving. I've got two flowers-ish. Like, someone gave me an African violet for my birthday, and I love those. I think they're so tender and vulnerable and, like, fuzzy and cute. So I really want to, I wanted to stay strong. And then I have a little cactus that's totally going to live forever. I can tell because it did not get a lot of love this winter and it looks the exact same as it did last year. But I'm, I'm getting better. I've got like my little three by three foot deck has like a little tiny compost soil bag and pyrite. Okay. Maybe last question. I'll probably have another one. But you know, like classic philodendron the windy windy boy i have like a perfect cutting that has been in a jar honestly since like april and i've refreshed the water and gone at sun and it has all these happy little roots going on when do i know when to plant it first of all i'm getting off on this so ask me any question you want (laughs) i think as soon as you see like a substantial amount of roots go ahead and pop it in some soil i i think they'll they'll take to it pretty well as soon as you see like three or four healthy roots I say go for it I'm probably gonna do that today yes I actually need to (laughs) I need to repot a lot of stuff I feel like there's so many sad plant babies in the apartment that I don't want to admit are sad I've lost a lot of babies from moving from Pennsylvania to California California to New York New York to Mexico it's sad you have to give them away but now you know I've been here for about five years and I have about 25 plant children because I counted because I knew we were doing this episode (laughs) I mean some of them are smaller you know but they are my pride and joy and I love them you know I currently don't have a pet and I think that that has a lot to do with it as well. Like I've always had plants and pets, but it is just like a sweet little replacement for those babies. But I think some of my favorite species are the philodendrons, the kind of those those bigger ones. It's called a, a tree philodendron and a lacy tree. They're massive and they're kind of like jungle-like with little fingers. I feel like you've seen them before, but they grow so well. And I think they're an excellent candidate for like filtering the air they get huge they kind of just give your space more of a like jungle-like feel one of the most star prized plants always i think is my my little windowsill weed there's like maybe two to three growing i think at all times just because i like to have them there and i think they're just easy plants to kind of add to your collection i still rave to anyone who will listen about the win- the windowsill uh weed article in issue four of Broccoli Mag. And it's short and it's to the point. And there are some references to really great grow your own advocacy groups and pieces of literature. But I think the most like reoccurring theme I often get when people slide into my DMs is like how to grow cannabis at home. I think the misconception is that cannabis is really hard to grow but it just isn't. I mean, its nickname is weed. It grows it like weed. Grow. Right. <laughs> it wants to grow, exactly. And obviously, you know, when you and I have had to cultivate for, for profit or to provide, like, clean herb um, for consumers, it's not that easy. We have to jump through the hurdles of having a successful harvest, you know, like 
paying attention to your growth cycles and nutrients and water and sun and tracking your numbers and like making sure, I don't know, you're looking microscopically at whether or not the trichromes are ready. And there's various different things. And I think what makes windowsill weed so fun is because it's just, it's like your house plant that you take care of like any other house plant. And if you love it, it will bear its bounty for you. And there's nothing better than being able to consume weed that you grew for yourself. I want to try it. I do think it's the dream, like, to be able to grow what you need to smoke. Like, that's totally... The, I'm so sick of dispensary plastic. I, I want to, but right now, I mean, uh, your girl has been in hot water the past week. I got my first complaint. I got a new neighbor upstairs, and I've been, like, patio-bound. I'm very good about smoking on the patio because, in my mind, it's better to blow away into the open air than sit in the apartment. But that is not how my new neighbors feel about it. They complained a couple times and I was like, kind of blew it off. And then I got that second complaint and I was like, oh, they're like pretty pissed at me. And the landlord dropped that I smelled like it when I picked up packages the other day. So there was no denying it. But it's like put me back in that state of mind of like, God damn it. I, I can't believe this is a big deal right now. Like I it's so hard for me to be like, are you fucking serious? It's a legal state and it has everything to do with just like landlords being like smoking of any substance is not allowed on the premises and on our patios. And I know they're non-smoking and I understand all the reasons. I've been a property manager. I know that she's probably more pissed that she's getting complaints. There are days where we're both on our deck tanning. I hear her five feet above me turning her magazine pages. And it's really hard to not be like, hey, can we just have a talk? Like, is it the smell that bothers you? Weed is stanky. I want my weed to be <laughs> stinky. <laughs> so it's going to have to bring a conversation about. I've been using a smoke buddy, which I have, like, we're wrapping up here, but I have to mention because technology has progressed for us stoners. Are you familiar with this invention? You mean like the thing where you put a fabric softener sheet on top of the... No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. You know my That is auntie. obviously classic. <laughs> the... No, no, no. Okay. This thing called a Smoke Buddy. That's the brand name. It's like the size of an egg. No, like a big ass egg, like a stress ball. And I don't know what the fuck is inside of it. It's got to be some kind of carbon filter thing. And you just blow into this little plastic device and it air comes out the other side. Zero smoke escapes. Dude, it's insane. It totally, everything I blow into it is gone from the room. I don't smell it. And the problem is the smoke that comes off the bowl as I'm smoking it just into the air. But like from these, from this little mouth, from this stony mouth, all smoke is going through that smoke buddy. And I am impressed. So if anyone is stressing at home right now, it was really cheap and it actually has made a huge difference. And I highly recommend. Some stoner girl told me and I'm just like, I don't know what I would have done without you. So I've gotta pass it on anyways i i'm gonna take these plant lessons and i'm very grateful for your help today because i'm totally gonna 
wash my babies tonight and I'm going to plant that philodendron. You're going to bathe your children. (laughs) I am. (laughs) They're so so cute. They're so sweet. And obviously, listeners, please send us photos of your plant babies. We love to see them. They turn us on. They give us hope for a better fucking future. And we will chat with you in the next two weeks. This episode was produced by Anya Charbonneau. Our music is by Giselle Garcia. And our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Visit Broccoli online at broccolimag.com and on Instagram at broccoli underscore mag. We appreciate you.